Blog Talk Radio. Father's Day. I am your host, Jake Counts, with me riding shotgun, T.J. Smith. T.J., thanks for coming aboard. It's a pleasure, like always. Well, <clears throat> due to some um, some complications, we had to postpone the show until this week, which gave me time to do some extra research. T.J. probably doesn't need to do any more extra research or his head will explode. But um, <clears throat> what we're going to cover today in the show is um, part two of the shadow government, and we're going to get into the Illuminati, a.k.a. the New World Order, and what their basic modus operandi is, who's involved, and what the overall agenda is moving forward. So I would like to start out, for those of you that are not familiar with the term New World Order, give you a little bit of synopsis on what that means, and then I'm going to play you a couple of clips for those of you that think this is very far-fetched. And yes, we are going to go down the rabbit hole today when we talk about the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati, but um, follow along because as TJ and I were talking about before, there's there's a lot of information out there about the Illuminati. Um, some of it can be misinformation or disinformation, and then there's some of it that could be very factual. And the only information that we really have to go by are people that dedicate their lives to studying these families and how they intertwine with one another, and then people that actually leave the Illuminati order and expose what's going on behind the veil, if you will. So the way that we're going to approach the show today is pretty much an informative, you know, brush, you know, once over, if you will, on the Illuminati and um, and what their, you know, modus operandi is, what the end goal is. And to give you an idea, the New World Order is not something new, <clears throat> but we're going to, you know, play a couple of clips here to get you guys up to speed and let you know that we're not just, you know, grabbing this stuff out of, out of thin air. These are actual world leaders talking about how they need to bring about a new world order. So we've got two clips back to back. So here's the first clip. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order. And after 1989, President Bush kept said, and it's a phrase that I often use myself, that we needed a new world order. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of, of the world. Okay, so that's the first clip, and if you guys couldn't recognize the voices, the first voice was our former president, George Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush. The second was uh, William Jefferson Clinton, and the third one 
If you guys don't recognize that man, then um, evidently you do not follow any kind of financial um, tickers or what have you. But that is um, that is our friend Henry Kissinger, who pretty much can be tied to every major leader that the United States government has ever had and is fully entrenched in foreign policy of the United States and of all the other nations around the world. He is the quote-unquote godfather, if you will of the New World Order, and he wants to see it accomplished more than anything. The next clip that I'm going to have for you is some international leaders saying the same thing. So once again, pay attention. This is not something new for the United States. This is actually something that's been going on for a very, very, very long time. The world that maybe some people dreamt of at that conference back in Bournemouth when it looked as if maybe history would end, that liberal democracy would triumph, that free market economics would slowly progress and we'd have a new world order. And together they helped to create, were the principal leaders in creating, a new world order and a winning strategy in the Cold War. <laughs> we are part of a new world order. And as the recently departed Admiral William J. Crow once said, it's long on new and it's short on order. Walter Isaacson wrote a wonderful book about some of the wise men who helped shape the new world order following the Second World War. As we devise a way forward in Iraq, I urge the international community to embrace its responsibility for creating that new world order. A new world order based upon collective action. The transatlantic partnership was never just the foundation of our security. It was the foundation of our way of life. It was forged an experience of the most bitter and anguished kind. Out of it came a new Europe, a new world order, a new consensus as to how life should and could be lived. And just like that, it was gone. It was the, it was a new world order. That's what President George H. Bush said. Harvard historian Francis Fukuyama pronounced the end of history. So, TJ, evidently the New World Order does not exist because all of these leaders go around talking about how they want to bring about this New World Order. So, um, just just to give the folks a little bit of background, TJ, why don't you why don't you kind of expand on the Illuminati, aka the New World Order? Talk about you know who's involved a little bit, um, what the overlying agenda is and then we can start picking it up from there and, and really breaking it down for for those of you that are that are new to this kind of information well <clears throat> the illuminati was started inside 1776 inside germany most specifically inside um bavarian germany by i believe this was adam weisprout if i am not mistaken that's right um I'm actually going off this by memory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was right. I, I think you and I would both butcher his name, but that's close <laughs> enough. 
so what happened was, uh, of course, um, the the Bavarian Illuminati was actually much more smaller than what it was today. But in, towards the 1780s, they began to restructure themselves like that of the Masonic orders. And they soon began to invite um, Masons to join the Illuminati. Of course, um, that... Bavarian Illuminati was actually disbanded, um, but what later happened was that the Masons soon actually then, they basically adopted the Illuminati way, and so then you have now what is a mix between the Illuminati and the old Mason order put together into one. Now, I would say close to maybe, what, the 1900s or maybe just like a little bit before the 1900s, you started seeing some of these um, wealthy families start springing up, like uh, the Rothschilds, um, the Rockefellers, Astors, people like that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, a lot of them got their money and their startup from power. Just like if you know about Rothschild and how he was able to conquer um, Britain during what was it, the Battle of Waterloo, I believe, when Napoleon yeah. was fighting. Yeah, he they, they financed both sides of the war, and then he had his scout come back with the information a day before um, a day before the the other scouts came back, and he announced that you know that Napoleon won the war. And and that um, and that we are all going to be enslaved. So basically, everybody sold all their stock, and then they come back, buy it up for pennies on the dollar, and then the real news gets back that he actually lost, and now the government was completely indebted to his private bank, known as the Red Shield. Which, if you want to break down the actual name of Rothschild, it breaks down into Red Shield. So continue. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, so going off of that, um, of course, there's 13 families of the Illuminati um, with there – is, uh, there is an inner five of them. Um, and, and those inner five actually can, are the heart of the Illuminati. And go ahead, Jake. No, it's just um, there's – and the reason we're not going to be able to really single out the the inner five is because typically those are never disclosed to to anybody unless you obviously make it up to to that um, to that. I guess is, is it the Great White Brotherhood? Is that what they call themselves, the inner five? Well, no, the Great White Brotherhood. That is a um, they are at they are at like the top of the pyramid. The Great White Brotherhood. Um, what the Great White Brotherhood. Uh, <laughs> what the Great White Brotherhood is is. It's actually um, a very few, I mean very, very few individuals. And these individuals are said to be the ones who actually communicate with Satan himself, who actually take the orders, and then, of course, they pass it on down. Uh, the 13 families, um, they, um, if I'm not mistaken, they would not be the great white brotherhood. No, you're, you're right. I just, I got a little confused and... And we're going to throw out a lot of uh, terminology for people that <clears throat> that don't that don't really look into this stuff very much and 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 typically don't know about it because it's not you know once again one of those things that gets put out on 
on CNN or Fox News, which are typically most of those large media organizations are owned by one tentacle of the Illuminati in some way, shape, or form. And and the thing that TJ and I talked about before to kind of transition into the mindset of of how all this stuff can take place, because a lot of people are sitting there thinking, well, uh, how could there be something like this going on? How could there be a real conspiracy of 13 individual families trying to bring about world government and enslave the population and then in their own writings talk about how they need to decrease the population by 80 to 90 percent and and how could this actually exist well i had a conversation this weekend and and i think it really does ring true because tj and i talked about it before the the invention of the television was something that was very great and very grandiose. Now, what has happened since television started broadcasting news back in, I don't know, the 60s or 70s or 60s, I guess. You know, when people started watching the news back when it was on television, when it first started, it was real breaking news. It was real hardcore information that people took as fact because – the reporters would do you know, cross-references, they would double-check everything, and then they would issue reports, and then the population could actually be informed by just watching the television. Flash forward into today, where you don't really get any real information from the news. You get, especially if you watch like a local news broadcast, TJ, you and I talked about that just with our local broadcast here in Atlanta. They... It was the day that um, Barack Obama announced that he was going to give amnesty to illegal immigrants, and it was also the day that that uh, Spain announced that they were going to have bank holidays. And then the day before, Greece announced that they were losing a billion dollars a day from people actually withdrawing it from ATMs. So all this stuff is going on around the world. And what does our what does our local news agency do for like world reports and stuff? They give like little puff pieces. They give you know nice little warm and fuzzy pieces to the population to to put you back to sleep to give you that reassurance that everything's a okay. So if you're wondering about how these people can actually rule and how they can make you know make bets and make deals behind the scenes and actually drive agendas, that's how they do it. They do it by owning the media systems that actually give you the information, and then when you go to the media systems that they have in place to get your information, it's typically not going to be anything that just but barely scratches the surface of anything that's going to have any real sustenance to it. TJ, would you agree with that? Is that pretty? Is that a pretty good synopsis of how they have positioned themselves into this? veneer and and put themselves behind the curtain if you will and now they're really playing puppet master with the population and and got the population completely distracted uh, about what they what the population should care about like pop culture and stuff like that would you agree oh yeah i think you hit it right on the nail head i mean mm-hmm. uh, i mean just how you know they set up their you know society and they went in and affected America affected Europe and affected other countries they did the same thing when they got into the corporate world what did they do well they took over these conglomerates and now these conglomerates have actually have swallowed up all these separate different business entities into one so now you have all these off branches of companies that are owned by these conglomerates, which are owned by shareholders, and a lot of your majority of your shareholders um, most likely will have ties to these elites. So there you go. I mean, they pretty much control everything from the news all the way down to Hollywood, to I mean, down to music, 
publications, everything. And then I, I did mention in um in my little bit of a, a meltdown that I had last Thursday when when you and I had our our thirty minute radio show. Which, by the way, um, everybody that's listening to the broadcast, you can actually listen to uh, our rebroadcast that will come on tomorrow. Um, it will actually be on the Blog Talk Radio homepage. We are actually a featured show for tomorrow. So um, pass the word out to your friends. Tell them to go to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we Are Not Cattle will be one of the featured shows down there at the bottom so they can listen to the show from Thursday. But uh, enough, of the, um, enough of the shameless plug there. You know – when I'm just trying to gather my thoughts here for a second. When you see how this all works, when you see the way that they've manipulated the population and put us into positions where where pop culture icons and and royal families are celebrities, they've really conditioned the population to accept the fact that 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 these royalties and and these queens and kings they're all you know they're all pop culture they're you know it's it's cool to like them it's cool to you know to 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 worship these people and and TJ you and I brought it up before in the past that the illuminati not only has their tentacles all over the mainstream news but they have it into the into the you know, into the entertainment moguls like you know we talked about Lady Gaga and we talked about Jay Z. Do you want to, you know, what's what's Jay Z's tie with the Illuminati? Just just so the people out there can can really get a grasp of it. Well, you know, if you really, I mean, okay, well, what a lot of people actually have misconceptions is that um, there's a lot of you know rumors that circulate actually, you know, in and around about the Illuminati. To be technically um, Speaking on it, um, Jay-Z, um, even though he has not ever came out and said he was a Mason, going by the symbolism that we actually see in his videos, um, that I guess that we could probably come up with a good hypothesis that he is a third-degree Mason. If someone is a third-degree Mason, okay, now keep in mind that there are 33 levels of um, of Masonry. Mm-hmm. The 33rd actually being the highest. When you actually hit um, a, a 32nd and a 33rd, you are then then you are considered illumined, and you are then called. I believe it's called the Masters, Masters of the Temple, yeah, um, something like that. And yeah, it, so, yeah, the 13 or the the points of light, all that good stuff. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. So basically, even if Jay Z really is a third degree Mason, he is nowhere near. He is nowhere near the Illuminati because. In order to be a part of the Illuminati, you have to be born into it. Oh, yeah. You cannot, you know, you just can't be like, hey, I have all this money, I want to join. No, it's all about keeping that pure blood race. Like, just like how we were talking about earlier, how we were talking about, you know, when you played the clip before we got on air about how the pharaohs married each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and we're yeah. and we're, that's probably a good time for us to play this because what TJ and I are saying is that, you know, you, you can have people come out and say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join the Illuminati." No, no, no. You don't get to play in their club. No, you don't get, you don't get the golden ticket unless you have some kind of lineage back to the ancient pharaohs, which that's what the Illuminati really believe. So we're gonna play a clip on the the bloodlines, and it kind of gives you a breakdown of how all this all this works and how and how some of our presidents tie into one another, and you'll really start being able to connect the dots on these people. 
And then when we come back, we're going to actually hit a couple of the of the of the key families and and then expand on those and and as soon as you hear the names you'll you'll actually be able to recognize these names that we talk about and we'll talk about what and where they started what they do now and then what their goal and what their you know what their what their I guess position is within the Illuminati and how they try to bring about this new world order Incest was practiced by ancient Egyptian royalty mothers married sons and brothers married sisters to keep the power and the money all in the family. Like their Pharaonic ancestors, the British monarchy have a long history of incestuous inbreeding. Even in Genesis, we have one version of this, but you find this all over the world, in every culture. As the Bible says in Genesis, there were giants on the earth in those days, or in the earth as it puts it, and also after that, where the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. These hybrid bloodlines, this interbreeding, produced the kings and queens and the elite royal families of the ancient world where they claim their right, their genetic right to be the king or the queen or the leader because of their connection to the gods. And um, all over the world you find this. And, and what do we have today? We have the queen as head of state of this country purely because of her DNA. In Sumer you find the same. Sumer which became Babylon, which um, became Iraq, um, has ancient texts and tablets which describe the same recurring global story of this interbreeding to create this hybrid race. The hybrid race became known as the demigods, part human, part god, because of this um, interbreeding connection. This hybrid bloodline went off across the world, up into northern Europe. It became the power behind the Roman Empire and the creation of the Roman Church, which became, of course, global Christianity. Much more about that uh, as we go along. Uh, and everywhere it went, it became the, the royal bloodline, the, the elite bloodline, the one that became the leaders and the kings and the queens, and also the, the, the people in charge behind the scenes. And it interbred with other um, such bloodlines in Northern Europe, to, became the, to become the royal families and aristocratic families of Europe. And so today, these hybrid bloodlines are known as the Illuminati, the Illuminated Ones, and they're the ones that control the transnational corporations, governments, the banking system, the whole shebang that um, dictates and... Uh, controls the direction of society. So that was a clip from that was a little clip from a David Icke speech and now TJ and I both um fall under the same uh umbrella if you will under under David Icke we don't believe that these Illuminati are um reptilian or shapeshifters or anything like that. They're just real people and they're they're real people that have a a lust for power. It's kind of 
It's kind of like what TJ and I talked about before we got on the show. He's like, what do you think these guys really do? What do you think the Illuminati really does? And I said, well, they probably don't watch sports, and they probably don't watch a lot of TV, and they probably and they definitely don't watch the news because they are the news. It's kind of like what Carl Rove told like a, a small group of journalists, you know, back in um, I think it was two thousand and two thousand five, two thousand six, or whatever. He says, you know, we make reality. And that's pretty much the way that the the way that I see these guys, you know, toddling around is that they don't care about what you think about them. The you know the the mass majority of the population doesn't even know who the Illuminati are, who who's involved with these families of this conspiracy, any of that stuff. So, TJ, let's go ahead and start breaking down a couple of the families, and, and really and really dive into into how they um, how they have intermixed. With one another, and and they're trying to bring about this this new world order, aka one world government, and uh, and pretty much enslave the entire entire globe in the process. So, why don't you start out with um with the Rockefellers, and I'll hit the Rothschilds after that. Well, um, of course, the Rockefeller family, which is um, a prominent known family, especially inside New York and and inside the world. Um, of course, John D. Rockefeller um, is. The, the most famous one, and a lot of their um, family ties center around wealth. Of course, they own the company um, Standard Oil. Uh, they are worth hundreds of billions to trillions of dollars. Um, today, there are, are about 190 members of the family with the Rockefeller name, and of course, some others by other last names. Uh, they provide a large share of the money that um, that seminaries in the U.S. need to operate. And if you go back inside history, you will see that, you know, the whole entire eugenics movement that also that was founded um, by one of the um, cousins of um, Charles Darwin, in which, of course, that Hitler also used and that American eugenicists also used, was also later um, developed into the birth control pill, was also funded by the Rockefeller um, family. Um, they provide large grants to various religious organizations. Their influence and controls helps determine who would get publicity in their major news magazines. So, of course, you know that their whole main thing is all about funding. You know, anything that will help uh, the New World Order, the global elite get to their agenda, they fund. They have the money to fund, and that's their primary goal inside the um, Illuminati is to fund things. Okay. Yeah, and and that's a really good synopsis. And you know, once again, we're just scratching the surface here, guys. This is um just just on the Rothschild family alone, I've got a 51-page report, and that's just from one source that I've gone over. So, you know, understand there's tons and tons and tons of information on there, and we're just going to basically scratch the surface. The rest of it is up to you. If you want to go into this, if you want to go down the bunny trail as my friend calls it, and and TJ, I, I do need to thank you for this because you're the one that, that came up with the idea for the show to bring this on. And, and I really had no idea how much was going on behind the scenes, how much these guys were interwoven, and, and, and how they got started and what they really do. So I want to thank you for that and kind of opening my eyes. And, and now um, I do want to um, also spite you a little bit for making me go down this deep, deep funny trail <laughs> that has got so many caverns that you can't even imagine. Oh, so yeah. just just a quick once-over on the Rothschild family. There's a great quote that I pulled from a, it's a, from a website that's run by Fritz Springmeier for all of you 
that are familiar with him, and for all of you that aren't, Fritz Springmeier is um, is a gentleman that dedicated his life to studying the Illuminati after he said that God came to him in one of his dreams and said that this is your mission is to is to understand these people and understand their um, their satanic kind of worship and 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 how they plan to take over take over the world and this is a plan that has been going on for hundreds of years and that um so he set out his life to expose these people and he's written i think it's like a thousand page book on the entire bloodlines of the illuminati tj says he's going to read it but um it'll probably take him a couple years or at least a couple <laughs> months i would think and then after that we might see tj like you know, off on the street somewhere you know losing his mind after learning about all all the families and how they intertwine so you know, transitioning back to it, um, the House of Rothschilds, I do have an interesting quote here. It says, if one looked back on the backstage of history, it would find the House of Rothschild. They have indebted kings, manipulated kingdoms, created wars, which we talked about before, and molded the very shape of the international world. Among the hierarchy of the Illuminati, they are revered as the powerful satanic bloodline, and they are, quote-unquote, living legends in this pantheon of of the 13 families. Now, another biographer said, in America, a boy wants to become a president. In Europe, he would rather become a Rothschild. So that lets you know how powerful this family is. And they began back in Germany, and TJ talked about that a little bit in the past. But I do want to just cover some of their broad scopes. I'm not going to get into any of the individuals themselves. Uh, I'm going to touch on a couple of them, but I'm not going to get deep down into and down into their whole you know family pyramid or anything like that. No pun intended with the pyramid. <laughs> but um, it talks about um, when Germany fell. Not only did the Rothschilds agents draft the treaty and they prepared the idea of the League of Nations, but Max Rothschild was one of the eleven members that took control in Bavaria. Max Rothschild was a Freemason and lodged number 11 in Munich, Germany. So that was Max Rothschild once again having their hands in pretty much everything that's going to set about the world that we live in today. Now, going to Victor Rothschild, Victor, who worked for uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, which is another you know, another high elite family, was imported by MI5, and he was a communist member of the Apostles Club at Cambridge. Lord Rothschild was one of the original members of the Rhodes Roundtable, which became the CFR, or the Council on Foreign Relations, which we touched on last week, another steering committee of the global elite to shape world policy. It is the Rothschilds who financed Cecil Rhodes. At beginning in Africa, the Rothschilds have several agents with their money just got started and served them well, the Morgans and the Rockefellers. And the original Rockefeller made his money um, selling narcotics. And when you look at the majority of these families, they, they typically do make a lot of their money or a, the bulk of their money um, in the opium trade and in narcotics trade. Um, and it says acquiring a little capital from oil, but the Rothschilds capital made the Rockefellers so much more powerful. Their finance activities um, of Edwin Harriman for the railroads and um, Andrew Carnegie, and we all know who Andrew Carnegie is. So just to close up with the Rothschilds, it's actually really funny to, to read this quote. I read it to TJ before we got on air. Uh, the Rothschilds have been wielding so much influence and power not only in secret society but in Christendom's churches. 
The Salvation Army, under suggestions of the Rothschilds, adopted the Red Shield, which once again is their logo. And the history of the Rothschilds remarks the Rothschilds have rapidly propelled themselves into a position of immense financial and political influence. They are an independent force in, of the life in Europe, accountable to no one and to a large extent reliant upon no one. So these people that are in this upper echelon, once again, the best way to describe the Illuminati is a pyramid structure. So if you take the pyramid and cut like the little top part off like you see on the dollar bill, which has got the all-seeing eye in it and Illuminati symbol in and of itself, and we'll break down the dollar here in a little bit. But that little piece that's floating above the pyramid, that is where you're going to find your ruling elite, as TJ called on the inner five. So that is where you're going to find these big boys that are that are shaping all these policies. TJ, do you got another family that you wanted to, to touch on? Because um, I did want to touch on the Astors really quick, and, and that's just because of, of how much power and money those guys have. And just the story behind John Jacob Astor is pretty interesting. You got anything um, else you wanted to cover? Well, I mean, when you're looking at a lot of the families, of course, we don't exactly know all of the inner five, but we do know that, um, of course, the Rothschilds is most likely probably at the center. But sure. just in case if anybody wanted some of the other names, that the full 13s are, you have the Aster bloodline, you have the Bundy bloodline, um, the Collins, the DuPont, the Freeman, um, the Kennedy, which which is associated with John F. Kennedy and his whole family, and you know about how all of them usually end up dying. You have the Lee bloodline, and the Lee bloodline is the only Chinese bloodline inside the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. You have the Onassis, the Reynolds, of course, the Rockefeller, Rothschilds, the Russells, and the Van Doon. Those yeah. are your 13 bloodlines. And if it sounds familiar, the Kennedy bloodline and the Onassis bloodline is because it is very familiar with people that study history. Um, JFK married Jackie Onassis. So once again, these guys interbreed with one another. This is this is not something that they just go out and, and fall in love with somebody. This is a very strict regiment that these families follow. Then you do not step outside of the box with these people. And if you do get brought in, you probably don't get brought into the inner circle. They keep you on the outside looking in, and you never really know what's going on behind the scenes. So the quick once-over of the Astor family, and then um, I'm going to play the second part of the Bloodlines clip. And then um, we're going to get into the boil down of, of how does this all happen. And I do have a, another clip about mind control that really does um, encapsulate how this has gone on and how these people manage to build this empire behind the scenes, all the while distracting the public with bread and circus to keep them at bay and not letting them know about the New World Order agenda. So the Astor family, John Jacob Astor. He's the original founder of the family. John Jacob Astor actually came over um, to the United States, didn't speak hardly any English, was poor, and was not very, very intelligent from, from, you know, I guess from some semblances of the word. And what he did was he ended up joining a Masonic Lodge. Now, very shortly after joining a Masonic Lodge, he ends up making millions upon millions of dollars. It's just kind of one of those coincidences. Now, he did have 
a deal with Jefferson and the secretary when when the United States had their embargo and wouldn't let any trade ships go in and out of the country. His ships were the only ships allowed to leave uh, leave port. So as you can see there, and you can kind of see how these guys already at the very beginning of, of the United States had their influence over the president and the secretary at the time, letting them go ahead and run their trade routes while everybody else was docked in the bay. They ran opium for the majority of their fortune, and um, he was privy to a lot of inside government information. So. Here's where it gets real interesting. He bought large amounts of land in New York City after obtaining all this wealth. And Astor, um, John Jacob Astor in general, had um, had a very – what's the best way to describe it? A very ruthless persona as it's described in the, um, in the history that I read. So he was a very ruthless landlord, and in the Panic of 1837 – uh, he, it allowed him to foreclose on a, on a number of large properties, which gained him even even more money and and more more power throughout the, um, the city of New York City. And he also sat on the board of the the new bank that Alexander Hamilton created, which was called the Bank of the United States. That was the first central bank. TJ, you and I both love central banks because oh, yeah. of how they control the currency and inflation and deflation. Now, he had accumulated – and this is unbelievable – he had accumulated one-fifteenth of the entire world – or entire wealth invested in the United States. That was back in the 30s, 1830s. He accumulated over you know, one-fifteenth of all the wealth that was there, and then after that, it turns out that he owns one-twentieth of all the real estate in New York City. One-twentieth. So the Astor family is one of those families that when you look at it, I mean, think about how much power that is, people, to be able to own <laughs> that much property in New York City. And we all know how expensive property is in New York City. You hear about these, you know, three and five million dollar um, apartments, and those are, you know, a dime a dozen. So it's it's absolutely incredible once you start getting down to how much these people are really worth and. And TJ, I think you and I were right. Why would they even waste their time with learning the news or watching sports? Yeah. It really doesn't benefit them at all. I mean, they don't really. I don't think people really understand exactly how wealthy these people. I mean, you you're talking about if you combine all thirteen families' fortunes together, I, it would just be ridiculous how much money they would have. I mean, I mean. Another thing to point out is because you know how you were talking about um, Astors and they, them owning land inside there. Inside New York, the land that the United Nations building was built on was donated by the Rockefellers. <laughs> That's their land that they donated. It's, so, <laughs> it, it, it's so crazy. So here, I'm going to – it looks like we got a caller on hold right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the caller, see if I can pick him up. Okay. Uh, Color, just um, if you got a question for us, um, yeah, we'd love to answer it and see how how test our knowledge base, I guess, if you will. So uh, just state your name and a question for us if you got a question. You're on the air. Go ahead. Nope, looks like we dropped him. Hello, caller, are you there? Nope. All right, we're gonna we're gonna drop the caller. Didn't quite make it up. All right, so now transitioning into that, we'll go ahead and go through our um, our second part of the um, of the bloodlines, and this kind of 
gives you a synopsis of how um, all of our presidents or the majority of our presidents are actually related. Once again, this is all conspiracy. So, <laughs> you know, none of this stuff is really true. This is, you know, go back to sleep, drink your fluoride, watch your news, and everything will be just peachy, we promise you. Many of the United States presidents have blood relations with each other. The Bush lineage has blood ties to a great number of former presidents. George Washington, Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses Grant, Rutherford Hayes, James Garfield, Grover Cleveland, Teddy Roosevelt, William Taft, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, Franklin Roosevelt, Richard Nixon, and Gerald Ford. Michael Tassarian points out in his work that Bush is closely related to every European monarch on and off the throne and has kinship with every member of Britain's royal family. Bush's family tree can be documented as far back as the early 15th century. He has a direct descent from Henry III and from Henry VIII's sister Mary Tudor. He is also descended from Charles II of England. And we also find that George W. Bush is a direct descendant of Godfrey de Bullion. Godfrey was the first king of Jerusalem after he recaptured it from the Saracens, which was the name for the Islamic faith during the Middle Ages. It is interesting to note that the current occupation of the United States in the Middle East was re-established by the same family, George Bush Sr. in 1991 and again by George Bush Jr. in 2003. George Bush Jr. is then found to be a cousin to both opposing candidates of his two terms in office, Al Gore and John Kerry. Democratic President Barack Obama also has blood ties with George W. Bush, as well as Gerald Ford, Lyndon Johnson, Harry Truman, James Madison, and the British Prime Minister Sir Winston Churchill. On the opposing side of the 2008 presidential ballot, John McCain is descended from Robert the Bruce, King William I of Scotland, and also Godfrey de Bullion. Let me take you through this, branch by branch. The 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault. Vice President Dick Cheney, the man who's only a heartbeat away from the presidency, is actually a blood relation. He's President Bush's ninth cousin once removed. Cheney's cousin Barack Obama is also Bush's 11th cousin, and the ninth cousin, of Brad Pitt. But we're only just getting started. President Lincoln was President Bush's seventh cousin five times removed. And Bush shared more than just a ballot with John Kerry. That's right, they're ninth cousins twice removed. There's also royalty in the Bush bloodline. Princess Diana was Bush's 11th cousin twice removed. And then there's this bombshell. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Sure, she may have been singing to JFK, but what about GWB? He is, after all, her ninth cousin, three times removed. He's also related to Playboy founder Hugh Hefner, even Pocahontas, and Vlad the Impaler. Trace the family tree far enough, and you get Madonna, Celine Dion, and Tom Hanks. Okay, so... <laughs> So, you know, this is all just coincidence, everybody, and then the argument that you're going to get from, quote-unquote, the the opposition for this is that, you know, everybody's related in one another. Of course, we're all humans. We all stem from the same from the same roots, but, I mean, come on, people. You know what's funny is the, is the reference of Vlad the Impaler. Isn't it, isn't it funny that they talk about how Bush is related to Vlad and then, and then the um, – who is it? Is it Prince – 
is it Prince Philip that's like completely obsessed with his lineage with Vlad the Impaler? Is yeah, that... I was talking about the date. Was it from Transylvania? And the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they and they talk about how um, and he loves the fact that he was you know their Transylvanian ancestors. Remember, this is the royal family of London, and they actually weren't you know it's oh god from it's Germany. Just, you know? I know, man, it, but it's so crazy because I I watched the um, the Queen's whatever it was, the Queen's Diamonds Jubilee or whatever garbage they put out in front oh, of us. Yeah. And I was literally about to throw up on myself just watching these people that don't even know that your queen of quote-unquote London is actually from either – I think it's either Transylvanian lineage or, or German descent. They were known as the House of Venzer, and that's why you never hear them talk about their last name. It's always the queen. It's always Prince Philip. It's always you know their first names because they don't want to get into and they don't want to open that can of worms on the back end. So – We've touched on a little bit of the Illuminati. TJ, if you could quickly go over, and I know that's probably um, an oxymoron, quickly go over the um, the Invisible College, the the Mothers of Darkness, and and talk about those a little bit. And then what I'll do is uh, we'll transition into the mind control clip that I have and show you guys how how this can really actually happen, and and that what you're under right now. And the majority of the population under is just hardcore mind control pre-programming through television and in every other media outlet you could you could ever think of. So, touch on those really quick, and then we'll we'll move forward. You can start with the Invisible College, and then um, transfer to the the Mothers of Darkness. Well, you know, um, like I said, well, and just like Jake said too, that when you look at that pyramid. On the back of Dollar Bill, their structure is almost set up exactly like that. They have different ranks. Um, of course, it all is based on Satanism, and what is known as the anarchy level or the or the coven level. Basically, the lowest part of the whole entire Illuminati world or the Satanic world would be, you know, your lowest parts of witchcraft, like people who do the church of Satan, yada yada, mm -hmm. like um your novice witches, your knights. As you move up to the second one, you have your fellow craft, you have your craft practicing witches, your patriarchs, your knights of Pelican and Eagle of the fifth degree, and you have the Black Brotherhood, um, uh, which stretches up to basically to the high to the hierarchy level. But before you get to the hierarchy level, just one step below that, you have people like the Skulls and Bones, the Knights Templar of the Sixth Degree, mm -hmm. Master Witches, Masters of the Illuminati. And then as you move up, you get on and on. And, and one of the things is, um, was it the Mothers of Darkness, the Motherhood of Darkness? Yeah. That is believed where Hillary Clinton is believed that she is a part of the Motherhood of Darkness. And it's said that they meet inside a castle somewhere in Europe and they have sacrifices of females. But remember, stuff like that doesn't happen, TJ. Nobody sacrifices anybody nowadays, even though you know mainstream news came out three weeks ago talking about the guy that got caught in India transporting newborn barbecued babies wrapped in gold leaves to upper elites. You know, this stuff doesn't happen because the television tells me it doesn't happen. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you really believe that, hey, you know, that these people are dressed up in fire cloaks, 
you know, praying to large <laughs> owls inside wooded areas and just carrying around dressing up like women and stuff. Hey, you know, it's really not real. I don't care what evidence you give me, Jake. It's not real. Now, I'm because sorry, once again, you know, once again, when you when you challenge somebody's reality, when you challenge their normalcy bias, people typically have either a fight or flight mechanism. It's either I don't want to see it, or if I give you a stack upon stack upon stack of documentation, it still doesn't exist because I don't want to believe that it exists. And somehow that's that that's a that's a, a shield of ignorance, I guess. And what I've found in, in, in my 33 years on this planet is that I learned a lot from high school and from college. You know, I learned a lot that can be applied to to my day-to-day life. But what I didn't really figure out or what I didn't learn about was um, is how to do real hardcore research, even though you learn it in, like, English class and stuff. But, you know, take it a step further and, and, and go go after this stuff on your own. It's amazing how much information is out there for you to just go out and absorb. And and one of the things that I do want to talk about, and I want to give ourselves, you know, give myself and TJ time to cover it. So I'm going to have to jump into this clip right now. Is the hardcore mind control that you're under, and I'll be able to address a couple of them, you know, just by saying a, a certain thing, and your normalcy bias will click in automatically if, and, and you'll see your pre-programming and your preconditioning. So this is a little bit of a lengthy clip, so bear with me, but um, it's going to be good. To uh, to talk about it's going to be good for to for you to cogitate on and, and really understand what's been going on in your life um, since you were a child and 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 see how this pertains to the way that your reality shaped and maybe you might want to break through the walls if you will and, and start doing some out of the box thinking and some out of the box research to um to broaden your horizons so here's the clip. Mind sciences, or the study of human behavior in relation to the mind, is the newest of all the arts. It's less than a hundred years old, and it is by far the the one that is most cloaked in secrecy. The origins of psychological warfare uh, were in Nazi Germany, and in the Nazi ideology, they had something that was called Weltanschauungskrieg, which means worldview warfare. The idea for them was imposing the Nazi worldview on the countries that they had occupied. The Americans picked up this idea, created an American version of it, and called that psychological warfare. In trying to understand psychological warfare and in trying to understand the American approach to the post-war efforts to control people's minds, both as individuals and on a mass scale, there's a lot of illusions about how that was done. Were Nazis involved in that process? Yes, they were. Tony Paperclip was a United States government-sanctioned CIA operation for the importation of Nazi and fascist scientists into the United States. Their statement was simply this. If we don't bring these people into this country and contain them, then our enemies, the Soviet Union, will get them. The first wave was to bring these scientists. There were 700-odd propulsion scientists. And then there were some 600 and some odd mind scientists people that they brought in. 
the CIA was given a responsibility of actually placing the individuals that had a project paperclip into the military-industrial complex, including our colleges and universities. Mind control was a psychological warfare weapon that Adolf Hitler regarded as the answer for taking over the entire planet. The name for the mind control research in this country was MKUltra. MKUltra was one program of a series of programs that came out of the CIA to experiment with different types of mind control using drugs, using electroshock, using insulin shock, and, and other techniques. I think that the goal for those people who planned the program was very straightforward. It was an attempt to figure out a way to interrogate people and to learn how to protect their own agents against control by others. If you put someone in a position of being disabled by not feeding them or not allowing them to sleep or overwhelming them with sound, if you use massive shock treatment and you give people massive doses of drugs such as PCP or mescaline or amphetamines or LSD, and if you put them in periods of darkness where they can't predict from one minute to another what is going to happen next, so they're always dreading, there's no consistency to sort of what's going to happen, anybody can be put in a position of being open to brainwashing. Ewan Cameron was probably the foremost psychiatrist of his time in the 1950s. He was using high-tech sound techniques. He was using multiple kinds of loop recorders to force people to listen to recorded messages 24 hours a day for weeks on end to basically destroy people's thinking patterns. He injected the lysergic acid into the vein and he patted me on the shoulder and said, now there, Lassie. We'll see you later. And I started to feel very frightened. And the fright became a terror. And I sort of began throwing myself from one side of the room to the other. I didn't know what to do to stop this feeling. It felt like my bones were melting. That I was, um, I just didn't know who I was anymore. This is not just a break-in to people's homes. It's not just invasions of privacy by illegal wiretapping. This is uh, an invasion of a person's mind. And uh, that is about as uh, profound uh, an injury, uh, except for a loss of life, that the government can impose. This was a, a post-Nazi program, if you will. It was a, uh, an Americanization. I've often made a statement, and I still make it flippantly. The Nazis didn't lose the war. They just had to move. Now it's 50 years later. Now they're much more clever, much more sophisticated. They have a lot more money to spend. His motor coordination was disrupted because of the compound's effect. Although his vision was not impaired, he found it difficult to focus his attention on the next objective. His physical actions were noticeably slower. He felt compelled to disobey his instructions. Did Sergeant Ditches give you any uh, instructions about what you were supposed to do tomorrow? Tomorrow? What, is today Thursday? Today's Thursday. Today's Thursday, uh-huh. Well... Wars are not won on the battlefield. They're won in the minds of the people. Okay. 
So I know that that was a long clip. TJ, that's the first time you've heard that clip. What are your takeaways from that? I've written a couple of mine down already, but what what do you get from that? And, and how does this tie into the fact that the Illuminati can really cloak themselves and and, and not be exposed to the mainstream press or any of the other other you know avenues that we have to get information out to people? Well, a lot of the information he talked about there can also be found. Um, those are actually real documents like um, Project MK Ultra and mm-hmm. um, Operation Paperclip. Those are real government documents that have been declassified. Um, a good book that also actually have the documents inside there is Jesse's Ventura 63 documents. The government does not want you to read. If you pick that up, it has a lot of that information that he talked about inside there. Um, it really is true, you know. The mind is a very powerful, a very powerful weapon. If you are able to take the mind, you know, you can do anything. You know, it's like it's it's basically all about reaching people. It's about spreading your influence, and media um, has actually done that. And of course, we discuss how the media is owned by these conglomerates, which is controlled by these elite. If you can't control what people see what they hear, what they smell, any of their five senses, you can completely control the world. I mean, simple as that. The mind is pretty much everything. Once you actually get to the mind, that's it. I mean, that's it. I think I think the uh, the takeaways that I had from that clip are, are the things that people really need to kind of pay attention to, where he talks about imposing a worldview. That's exactly what these elite are doing. The New World Order, just to give you guys the once over on the New World Order, it is global governance, once again, with population reduction kind of tagged onto that because what these people believe, and um, you know, just from just from my little knowledge, and, and TJ and I kind of have differing opinions on this, but these people are Satanists. But they're Satanists in the fact that they read the Bible differently than TJ and I would and possibly you would. They see, instead of they seeing Satan as offering the apple to Eve to to basically, you know, uncloak her from God and then make her, you know, disobedient towards God, they see Satan as a bringer of knowledge and freeing Eve from this spell and from this you know, prison that she and Adam were kept in by a vindictive God. And with so, that, yeah. So in essence, they believe they believe that 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 Satan gave them free will, and so now since Satan gave these people free will, if they can do it, then it's perfectly fine with the universe. What What do you think, TJ? You think that's pretty spot on? Yeah, I mean, well, just to add on to that, you know, there's two different types of Satanists. You have your regular Satanist, which will fall under, I believe it's called the, I can't think of his name. It starts with a V. Um, he founded the he founded the Church of Satan. Oh and yeah, you have, I know you're you know, talking about. Go ahead. Yeah. And then you have your Theistic Satanists. Yeah. The Church of Satan, they believe that Satan is actually not a real, um, what would you call him? Like it's a not a real entity. It's yeah, not, yeah. It's not a real entity. Yeah. Yeah, they believe he's not a real entity. They believe they they are they basically are more concerned about self worth. 
Right. And they believe Satan is a title where your thieves of Satanists actually believe that the devil is actually a real um, being and that he, like Jake said, actually gave um, humans knowledge and God is actually withholding knowledge from all of mankind. Right. And then, you know, just to, just to summarize all this stuff, like I said, TJ and I could spend hours upon hours doing this. We debated whether we needed to do an hour show or an hour and a half show, but – in essence, if we did a six-hour show, we couldn't cover it all. So, you know, tune in. We're actually going to start a new time with the broadcast starting next week. We're going to start coming on at uh, 10 o'clock on Saturday mornings. So we're going to be rivaling the gardening show that you guys listen to on the regular. So hopefully we'll be able to, to grab some more listeners. And uh, TJ, you got 10 seconds. Any closing thoughts on the Illuminati? Um. They're full of the devil. <laughs> Amen to that. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, once again, the show will be on Saturday at 10 o'clock. If you like our broadcast, go ahead and click follow on Blog Talk Radio to gain us some more listeners. And once again, as we say always, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, everybody. It's your world. It's our battle against the new world order, and it's here. Thanks for listening. <laughs>